What's up, guys? This is the 404, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So ATL, let's talk. What is up, Atlanta? This is Isaiah Smith coming to you guys with another episode of the 404. I'm here to talk about Game 5. The shorthanded, superstarless Hawks managed to scrap and fight and claw and do what they've been doing this whole playoff series and even the series at two games apiece with Milwaukee after kind of um, handing away Game 3, if you will. And you can argue that um, you know if Trey Young doesn't go down with an ankle injury, the Hawks are looking at 3-1 and closing this, things out, but we're, this thing out. But we're not going to harp on that and cry over spilled milk. Um, if you're a Hawks fan, I think you got to be happy that you're 2-2. Um, considering the lay of the land and the way everything is shaken out over the past oh, 48, 96 hours, I guess you'll say, um, you got to feel fortunate to be 2-2. you got to feel fortunate to kind of know where we're at with Trey Young's injury um, and the other circumstances and situations surrounding this game. Not to, to rejoice um, in Giannis's injury, if you haven't watched or seen the play where Giannis kind of went down and hyperextended the knee. Um, not to rejoice in that, but also understanding the the, the opportunity that's in front of you. Um, both teams are now down a superstar, so it's going to be on, if you will, the other guys to step up, make plays, and win this series. And that almost may be as fun, if not a little more fun, than watching the superstars duel and go at it. But um, before we get into the show and start talking game uh, game four, um, got to make sure to let you guys know to make sure to follow the 404 Forum on Facebook. Um, just search the 404 Forum. That is T-H-E space, the number four, the number zero, and then Forum, F-O-R-U-M, or on Twitter, we are at the 404 Forum, spelled the exact same way. Also, be sure to check in weekly-ish. Um, be sure to check on the social media pages. A lot of times we're dropping um, some keys to the games or keys to victory or some different takeaways and things like that um, between games, even when we don't have a show. So keep an eye out for that. Be sure to also listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, wherever you get your podcast at. Um, but before we hop in, or as we hop in here, I just want to make sure we stop and pause and make sure everyone knows what just happened. Um, because with the win on on uh, Wednesday night or on Tuesday night, excuse me, the momentum in this series has shifted. I hope you felt it. If you didn't, just kind of take time to step back, and you'll really feel it if you kind of step away from it for a minute, like I did. But nonetheless, um, you know, thoughts on the game and just kind of the different performances. You know, we we've talked about these games getting names, if you will. Um, you know, we had the Drew Holiday game. You had, you know, we've had a Danilo Gallinari game. We've had, you know, the Trey Young nuclear games. We had the Chris. Middleton game, um, and you want to make sure it's your guys naming the games and not uh, and not the other team's guys naming the game. We've talked about that, um, but um, we called. I'm going to call this one the bench game or, or the Lou Will game, if you will, because uh, the Hawks bench really showed up and they showed out even in some unfamiliar roles. A lot of these games were not. Or a lot of these guys didn't come off the bench for the Hawks. You know, Lou Williams was in a starting capacity. Herder, who was a bench player, ha- has been a starter for a while now. Um, but you know, Lou Williams being the main guy. You know, he's the main guy that stepped into a different role. I believe getting his first playoff start in 80-somewhat playoff games, which is an incredible feat if you ask me. But, you know, it's still from a regular bench guy. And and so I'm going to call this one the bench game. But I've got to talk about a regular starter before we get into some of these bench contributions. Bogey Bogdanovich, um, you know, he's just like the old gospel song says when when they're talking about Jesus. Um, You know, Bogey, he may not come when you want him, but he will be there right on time. And that's exactly what he was 
on Tuesday night. I'm not comparing him to Jesus or anything like that, but Bogdanovich really found his rhythm uh, in the biggest possible moment. He was right on time with, with getting his rhythm back, with hopefully moving past the knee issues, the tendonitis, or whatever else he's been dealing with um, in that right knee. But hopefully he's able to to keep having the impact he had um, on the game, keep doing the things he was doing. I believe it was up around um, 18 or 20 points, um, shot at, I believe, 6 of 11 from the field or from three. So that's that's a much-needed sign if you're a Hawks fan, and you really needed to see that, really want to see that. Also, we got to see Kevin Herter's versatility on offense, and that was so cool to see. Um, he really had a complete game as a scorer and as a facilitator for the team offensively. You know, he, I think he had seven assists on the night. Um, seven assists, five rebounds, and something like 13 points, 19 points, somewhere in that in that neighborhood, the mid to high teens. So a, gr- a very good night from Herter and a night that if he can be be that player um, consistently and going down the stretch of these playoffs, these Hawks are going to be very, very difficult to beat and even more difficult to beat with not only Herter scoring the ball and stretching the defense and shooting the three and creating his own shot like he did several times on Tuesday, but um, also being able to distribute and get the ball in playmaker, other playmakers' hands or get the ball into other scorers' hands and let them um, – not have to do as much work and just knock down shots, but cannot speak enough about the performance of Lou Williams. Like I said, his first playoff start in 84, 83, whatever it was, playoff games, and, and he really did bring the lemon pepper out and sprinkle it all over this game. Um, if you look at this game and you talk about whose fingerprints are on it, there are some greasy uh, Magic City wing lemon pepper sprinkles all over this game um, because Lou Williams brought it. I mean, he shot 100% in the first half. Um, he didn't miss till midway through the third quarter, I don't think. He finished seven of nine, which didn't get up a ton of shots and not a volume of shots, but did have 21 points, eight assists, five rebounds, just one turnover, and was plus 15 on the night. You cannot ask for much more than that from a guy who really was filling in for a superstar, a budding superstar in this league. And I thought Lou Will filled in nicely for Trey Young. He didn't try to be Trey. Lou was just solid. He played within himself. He still looked to score and looked to get his own shot. But in doing that, he brought the attention of the defense and then was able to facilitate to kick to open shooters or make dump passes to to Okongwu or make dump passes to Capella or Collins or whoever and let them go to work and finish through a couple or three very, very nice lobs uh, to Clint Capella there down the stretch of that game. And that's really what you look to do. Um, they were talking about during the game, you know, Reggie Miller and, and the TNT crew were kind of asking, the in-game crew were asking, how, you know, how are the Hawks going to score? What's, the, what's this offense going to look like without Trey? And a lot of the same concepts were there. The, sc- the high ball screens, letting the guards kind of get into the paint, looking to throw the lob, looking to kick to shooters and really using that ball screen to kind of set everything else up. And so you you got to love it. I really enjoyed seeing that kind of the progression uh, of Lou um, going from potentially retiring, not knowing if he even wanted to play in Atlanta to now being the, one of the team's leaders, a veteran leader for not only this team, but for Trey Young and then kind of helping him see the ropes and, and get ready to take the next steps um, as an NBA player. But you know, if Lou Williams can even be similar to this once he's out of the starting lineup when Trey Young returns, um, I, I personally think that that's only going to be a great thing for this team going into the potentially an NBA Finals and down the stretch. But also, um, you know, not having Trey Young out there um, at, at times, if you know you're not playing with Lou Williams as well, um, you actually kind of improve your defense in, in a way. If you're the Hawks, you know, I think the Bucks were about to start kind of running the, the old uh, stupid LeBron James Cleveland Cavaliers offense, you know. When the Cavs played the Warriors, they wanted to pick on Steph Curry. So whoever Curry guarded, that guy would sprint to the ball, set a hard ball screen, try to get the switch with LeBron on Curry, and then LeBron would just play one-on-one. So I think they may have been inching toward that 
um, with the with the Bucks. And you know, you know, Mike Budenholzer's not going to make too many changes. He's just going to interchange the guys he puts in the screen role, which you know is good, bad, whatever. In my opinion, I think it's not the greatest uh, example of coaching. But I think the Bucks were about to get to that. They were about to get to okay, whoever Trey Young guards, let's run them up here. Let's get him in a ball screen with Giannis or Middleton and see if we can pick on him. You know, the Hawks had handled it um, with a hard hedge and done some good things to recover out of that before. But it's not the greatest alternative if Chris Middleton Chris Middleton is going nuclear or Giannis is hitting jump shots and things like that. So um, now, you know, you can kind of switch things one through four. When you were playing with your, I guess, your alternate lineup where you had, you know, Bogey or or Kevin Herter at the point guard position, you know, you were able to kind of switch one through four. Um, And really, I think that was almost an advantage, maybe not an intended advantage, but you have Bogey, you have Kevin Herter when he's uh, masquerading as Kevon Herter. Um, They're underrated defenders. John Collins was able to keep things in front. Cam Reddish is a very good defender. Um, So I think one, I'm going to talk a little bit about this in a minute, but I think one of the unintended consequences of the Hawks being able to switch so much on the perimeter is it kept throwing throwing new bodies at the Bucks scores, whether it was Giannis, whether it was Middleton, Drew Holiday, whoever it was. You know, it kept throwing new bodies and maybe not necessarily fresh bodies, but just a different look. Maybe a guy's a little quicker this time than maybe a guy's got more length the next time, like Reddish. But you know, gotta you know, in talking about Reddish and that that kind of idea of switching and these types of things, I can't go away from talking about the brilliance of Nate McMillan to to know his personnel, um, to make you know not rush Cam Reddish, not put too much on his shoulders, but to use him and allow him to have an impact on the defensive end of the of the floor. I mean, he doggone had Chris Mill in a straight jacket at times last night and it was so cool to see Reddish kind of be a perimeter guy you know the perimeter lockdown defender we knew he could be with the added length that he kind of picked up or found or, or whatever during his hiatus with the Achilles um, and, and you know Middleton oftentimes looked rushed he looked hurried offensively never found any types of type of rhythm and like I said before the coverage was kind of the key he saw a lot of defenders maybe not intentionally but it's having an effect you know Reddish um, you know in, in set defense is kind of who he saw after the Hawks subbed and transition he may get herder or bogey whoever he gets whoever he's guarding in that cross matchup um kind of makes it a natural progression that that's who they would guard off a missed shot and on switches he also saw some john collins a little, a little bit of anyeka congru who played another very good game um and, and you know when they switch screens or he'd come off a screen and things like that um, you know, it, it kind of gave gave a different look, and so just the, the the unpredictability of the Hawks just kind of throwing different bodies and being willing to do that, it makes a difference. I really do think it makes a difference for a, a score, a guy with the with the ability and caliber of Chris Middleton. But you know, kind of jumping on down, going to talk talking about Nyeka Kongwu. Um, He's just been a bigger part of this series than anyone could ever have imagined. I know I had a buddy text me and say, hey, just want to officially come out and say that I was wrong about Anyeka Okongwu um, being a bust. He's actually not a bust. He's a very good player. And, and I think we knew at some point he was going to be a pretty good player. It was just a matter of when. And I don't think if, uh, just judging by the, the draft picks that Travis Schlink and, and this front office has made, um, I, I don't think they, I don't think they've made a lot of mistakes, um, especially with picks up that high. You know, in that top 10, top five, top three area, they've really hit home runs on those. So it's not so much a matter of if with a Kongu, but when and, and him getting healthy and then learning the NBA game, getting a little bit stronger, figuring out how he had to navigate this season in his rookie year and, you know, really trying to grow and just figure out a way to contribute. He's become a major contributor as a post player for this team in the playoffs. You know, he's done a very good job of defending Giannis being slightly more mobile than Capella, but not really sacrificing a ton of length or leaping ability and things like that. He just kind of keeps him in front, moves his feet, does a very good job of affecting shots. Um, Okongu's also been big on the boards. Right now, he's just playing 
within himself. His offensive game isn't what it's going to be. I think he's going to be a guy that can kind of morph into a John Collins type role, maybe not as bouncy or as athletic, but definitely able to switch and do a lot of the different things. Um, defensively, maybe a better rebounder than Collins, if I do dare say it. Um, but his his game kind of you know is defensive rebounding, but. You know, um, he's the the good thing is he's not rushing it. He's not trying to develop that enhanced offensive skill set here in the playoffs. He's just playing within himself, letting the game come to him, and really doing what he's supposed to do and doing a lot to help this team and be and being a, a key piece and a key contributor um, with some injuries or foul trouble or things like that as they arise. So, um, looking kind of at this this the, these these playoffs, you know, um, a Kongwu stepping up just kind of goes with the theme of bench players coming in. You saw, you know, for for the um, the Clippers, you see Reggie Jackson kind of who hadn't played a lot all year. It's been Pat Bev at the, at the starting point guard spot. You know, Reggie Jackson comes in and gives a big lift throughout the last two series. Um, you see, you know, other guys in other series coming in and doing the same thing off the bench after not playing a lot. Campaign did it for the Suns, you know, after Chris Paul uh, had to go out because of the positive COVID test and things like that. But injuries have really affected the game, um, you know, and that's one of these big playoff themes that we've seen in this series. It's it's, it's really had a big, 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 um, I guess, impact and is going to continue to have an impact until the end. It's been, but injuries have affected the game a lot. It's been one of the byproducts of this NBA season because the season's so condensed, um, essentially due to the greed of the league and the owners. Um, there's not really another way to put it. The NBA is one of the more player friendly leagues. I get that. But this decision wasn't very player friendly. It wasn't really, you know, made with the players really in mind. We said we were going to do different things. No, you know, three games and three nights or whatever but when guys really aren't used to or getting away from playing back to backs why do you think a two and three is okay um you know but trying to cram 72 games into such a condensed period is clearly going to lead to more injuries um like the ones we've seen with the soft tissue damage like the hamstrings you're going to see more ankle sprains just because guys are fatigued those muscles are fatigued and they're they're tired that's just the fact of the matter um you see in the eastern conference finals there's no off day there's no travel day um so it's kind of weird to not have that third extra day in between to get that travel day but you hate to see the injuries you hate to see Jalen Brown not able to go you hate to see Harden not really be able to be a full go um you know in the Eastern Conference semis you hate to be see Embiid not being you know at 100 percent or you know or, or wherever he was at with the with the with the meniscus and you know, different guys like that. You hate to see Kyrie Irving not able to participate. So you hate to see a lot of these big name guys and big name stars unable to go. Um, but with all that in mind, you know, there's still no excuses. You know, it's next man up. There's no fault of the teams who who are winning because these guys are out. They're just taking advantage of the opportunities that are put in front of them. So I do think it's the fault of the NPA for having so many doggone injuries. Um, it could have been prevented by shortening the season and doing some other things. But, you know, don't invalidate the teams. I say that all that to say this. Don't invalidate the teams who manage to stay healthy or were lucky enough to stay healthy. I won't say manage to, but were lucky enough to and, and had success. So, um, you know, kind of still staying on the injury topic talking about you know Giannis's injury and uh, you know with another topic that's been kind of prevalent in the NBA this postseason has been the fans with a lot of fans coming back um, you know I really well first off I want to take my hat off to the Milwaukee Bucks fans for the way they handled Trey Young's injury um, in a classy way also I know it gets kind of overlooked because Trey's injury wasn't as you know it, it didn't happen in a way that was as breathtaking as Giannis's was but you know once Trey Young you know they saw that he was injured 
um, the fans were respectful. They realized that they they you know were all about competing, all about giving them a hard time, all about chanting, all that stuff. But when Trey Young went down, there weren't these you know roar, roaring applauses or things like that. It was a somber moment, especially for Hawks fans. But I think Bucks fans understood that too. And you hate to see a competitor go down. But for, as for Hawks fans, you know I'm proud proud to say that I you know to be a Hawks fan and also proud of the way that they handled the Giannis injury. You know you had some idiots in every crowd. Um, you know, but after some of the ugly incidents we've seen in this playoff, I think both fan bases have just shown that they're competitive. They want to win. They want to give the other team's, play, team's players a hard time over the course of the games as they're supposed to do. But when things get serious, both respect the competition enough to really care about the human beings. And, and like I said, there's idiots in every crowd, but the majority of, of, of people handle both of these situations with class. And that's what you want to see from the fans. It's what you really do want to see and, and hope to see from the fans who are at these games and cheering and paying their money and things like that. But, you know, from that injury, you know, as unfortunate as it is to see, I can't reiterate that enough. You know, it was a scary moment. You know, you don't really know what what could be what's happening. You know, it's hard, you know, unless you see something happen, it's hard to tell with just a hyperextension. So luckily there's no structural damage to his knee. So hopefully he's he's back quickly because I want to beat the Bucks at full strength. I think the Hawks would say they want to beat him at full strength. So there's no excuses. There's no questions. But, you know, the takeaway, what's the takeaway from Giannis's injury and Trey Young's injury? If, if neither of these guys can go for the remainder of the series, you know, like I said, you hate to see both of them go down. They're two of the best young superstars in the game. Wish we could see him duel in the, at, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals at one of the high stages in the best league in the world but you know when Giannis went down the Hawks smelled blood in the water um, and they really attacked I mean that lead grew to 20 it seemed like in about five possessions really really quickly after that because I think the Bucks were a little they were a little shell-shocked um, you know anytime a, a big injury like that happens um, the team who has the player who was injured almost seems a little skittish at times and it's, it's a big thing to kind of compartmentalize you know a player a guy that you know could be you know it's like a brother in a lot of cases to a lot of those guys um going down with an injury that could alter his career you don't really know and there's that 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 element of not knowing the element of you know feeling the pain with them not physically but just you know the the agony of them wanting to be out there and playing but you know, nonetheless, you know, you've got to be able to compartmentalize it. I don't think the Bucks, you know, did that very well, which is understandable. I'm not faulting the Bucks at all, but I am saying, you know, saying the Hawks did their jobs. You know, they did their jobs. They kept the momentum uh, and they put the opposition away as they were supposed to do. So, you know, anytime you see you see blood in the water, you've got to attack as, a, as an athlete. So um, with both stars out, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Maybe it's a hot take. Maybe it's not. I don't know, but I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. I think even with Middleton being the best individual player left in the series, I think the Hawks have the advantage. I think of the if you take the five best players and list them um, in order, obviously Middleton would be the best player. Drew Holiday makes that list, but I think the other three players are Hawks, um, and that's even considering potentially Trey Young being out. If Trey Young is you know in the series, the Hawks may actually have the best player if he's able to come come out and be you know eighty percent of what he was. But nonetheless, you know. I'm, you know, thinking player for player, looking down the rosters, looking at the bench, you know, give me Cam Reddish over Pat Connerson any day. Give me Lou Will over Bryn Forbes or Jeff Teague or whoever. Um, you know, Onyeka Okongwu and Bobby Portis is a bit of a push to me at the absolute worst. But I think Okongwu is doing a little bit more than Portis on the glass, even though Portis can kind of stretch the floor and do some things in other areas and, and give you crazy eyes and do different things like that. But all that to say this, you know, I'm excited for game five. Um, I think this series is going to, 
really come down to whichever team's bench um, has the ability to be an X factor or, or, you know, if you will, the, which set of replacements can carry the load and, and can do the most. And I think the Hawks in that in that scenario may actually have more X factors than the Bucks do. The Bucks really can only go about seven deep uh, because of Donde DiVincenzo's injury. Um, another guy that's been lost to an injury in these playoffs, I think a quad injury or a calf injury or something like that. So um, just thinking about that, I think the Hawks may actually be the deeper team here and also maybe the team with more quality depth. So really, really looking forward to how that plays out. But nonetheless, going to step away for just a quick minute, going to take a quick break. But when we get back, I'm going to preview game five, give you guys some keys to victory and talk a little bit more about just kind of how much of a factor health has been in these playoffs and will be going forward in this series. So stick around and I will be right back. Don't you just hate it when the group text is jumping about last night's game, but you don't have anything to say because you didn't watch it? Well, if you listen to the 404 Forum, you will never feel that again because we're bringing you the latest each week in what's happening around Atlanta's sports scene. So follow the show on Facebook and Twitter and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you'll never feel left out in the group text again. What's up, Atlanta? We are back. This is Isaiah Smith still with you on an episode of the 404. I'm just talk game four. Um, now going to talk game five. Going to talk about, you know, um, how this series is down to a best of three. You know, and if you're the Hawks, what more could you want? A best of three. You've got a home game. You've got Milwaukee maybe, not I won't say reeling, but a little on the ropes. And, you know, you know that um, they're going to be without their, their best player here for game five, most likely, and potentially even for game six so if you're the Hawks you've got to kind of be thinking attack hey let's let's win this game on Thursday night and then let's really close this thing out at home and do it right for these home fans and get to an NBA Finals but nonetheless um, all that's going to hinge on health you know I think if Trey Young like I said can come back and be 80 85 percent of what he normally is I think that's big for these Hawks just have their best player back in the lineup being able to do a lot of the things that he does especially if he comes back maybe he doesn't come back for game five but returns for game six not sure what the uh the the diagnosis is going to be or, or the idea of how long he's going to be out is, is but um from what I hear about the bone bruise is the pain tolerance issue it's a pain tolerance deal so it's really up to him and kind of when he feels good enough to go. So if he can come out there for game six in front of the home crowd with a three to two lead, I think, you know, if they can get a, a lead of a 10 or 12 point lead, I think that home crowd may push them over the top, especially into the second half. But, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves and think about, you know, game five and closeout scenarios and things of that nature, but got to look at, or excuse me, not to get too far ahead to look at game six, but got to look at game five right here. Um, so what are the keys to victory for the Hawks? And I don't have as many this time because it really does feel like it's almost time to just play the games. You know, talking about it's great, but in a sense, it's almost time to just play the games and let the guys go out there, compete, go at it. It's more of about who's going to make the adjustments on the fly, who's going to step up, who's going to make shots, who's going to do a lot of these things, as opposed to elaborate schemes and game plans and knowing your enemy and all those types of things. But, you know, looking at... 
game five. What's it going to take for the Hawks to come away and go up three to two in the series? They've got to withstand a motivated Bucks team, and I think their bench unit specifically. You know, Bobby Portis does a lot. You know, Bobby Portis is probably with the way he plays, with his energy and things like that. He, you don't want to let him have a game where he becomes the heart and soul of this Bucks team over the back end of the Eastern Conference Finals because that can be enough to beat you. You know, Bobby Portis is an emotional guy. He, he plays very hard, but he's the kind of guy a team can rally around, especially when their star is not there. So that's one thing. Um, withstand a motivated unit, particularly a motivated bench unit. Milwaukee's going to come out firing. Um, if Giannis is unable to go, which it doesn't look like he will be able to go, the crowd's going to be motivated to push the team over the top, especially if they give him something to cheer for, start making some shots, get out to a little lead. Um, Middleton's going to be playing hard, as will you know Drew Holiday. They both know they've got to step up and have, have a void to fill. Um, but, you know, Look for them to come out on fire. If you're the Hawks, I don't think don't be surprised if they come out and do something crazy in the first quarter, make a ton of shots. But if you're the Hawks, just stay solid, keep it close, um, make your run late, and then put them away. I don't think they can sustain uh, for, for you know for 48 minutes. Do you know of torrid, ridiculous shooting and play, you know, and then once that, you know, that initial adrenaline vibe wears off or adrenaline rush wears off, don't hesitate to attack. Go for the kill when you smell blood in the water as they did in game uh, game four. Um, and as they say, don't play with your food when it's on the plate. And Milwaukee's going to find themselves on the plate at some point, whether it is in the first half, second half, fourth quarter, last six minutes, whatever it is, um, they're going to find themselves on the plate. So don't play with them. Don't mess around. Don't give them an opportunity to, to leave and steal one and put your back against the wall going home if you're the Hawks. Um, also, the, the second point, keep Chris Middleton middling. Um, Middleton hasn't been great this series, save for game three when he exploded. He went nuclear and went off um, 20 points in, in the fourth quarter. Um the Hawks have done pretty well against Chris Middleton for, for in that regard with, you know, Reddish getting a lot of run and action last night in game four, but also, um, you know, Bogey and, and Kevin Herter and some of these other guys getting a crack at him as well. They've all done a solid job. Like I said, save for um, game three. So, just make life difficult for him. You're not going to completely neutralize him and stop him. They're going to try to play through him a little more. That's pretty obvious with Giannis not being in the lineup or even not being 100%. Um, but you have, you know, various defenders playing hard. And the goal should be to make all his scores and all his catches contested. Make it tough. Make him really have to work to get buckets. Same thing for Drew Holiday. I think Drew Holiday had six points in game four. So, that you know, if you can hold him around there, keep him inside of 10, that's amazing. But if you keep him under 15 or 20, I think you've your job and again it doesn't so much come down to the production as it does the number of shots if even if you let chris middleton score 20 25 points if he has to do that on 23 25 27 shots you've won that's a success because you know he's not playing very efficiently same thing for holiday if holiday can you know shoot you know 10 threes which isn't exactly what he wants to do he can make them but it's not what he wants to do and you keep him you know around 15 points on 12 or 14 shots i think you can say that's successful that's a successful day on the defensive end i think you if you told me that's what happened for the hawks in this game five i would say they're probably going to win if they could hold make those two guys be inefficient um and then finally the same thing i've been saying really since the playoffs began for these hawks keep making shots i mean bogdanovich bogey bogdanovich found his rhythm at the right time um especially you know if trey is out that's going 
going to be an especially big key for this team. But overall, just keep doing what they've been doing. You know, Herder, Lou Williams, keep being facilitators for the offense. Capella, keep being big, keep securing extra possessions, be a rebounding machine. I would love to get more out of John Collins. Only had four points in, in the game for win. But, you know, if that's what it takes, you know, for Collins to be, you know, four and seven, four point seven rebounds and a couple of assists, so be it. You know, I'll take whatever it's got to be as long as it turns out to be a Hawks win. I think that's what John Collins would say as well. Um, he He's not so much concerned about his numbers and his stats, but he's concerned about winning and making sure this team is successful and, and makes it to an NBA Finals and doing everything he can to do that. So with all that in mind, it's going to these perimeter guys got to make shots. You know, you need Gallinari to make some shots. He hit a couple big ones from the top of the key. Um, you're going to need you know really anyone else who gets in there. Chris Dunn need, may need him to knock down a couple shots just to keep the defense loose and make him be honest and not sag off of him so he can still get to the basket and help facilitate in the point guard role if that's where he's playing. So all those things considered, I you know, if you want a prediction, I really like the Hawks. I mean, I think I think the loss of Trey Young is big, but the loss of Giannis for the Bucks and the way they play is massive. Um, it's a gut punch. It's, you know, ripping your heart out in, in, in a sense. Um, as opposed to for the Hawks, losing Trey is big, but they have other guys that can step up and fill the gap, fill the void, and do different things that help make this team successful. Um, I think the Hawks have more X factors. The Hawks have more umph, more pop from their bench. You know, looking over at the Bucks bench, who does Coach Budenholzer have um, outside of really Bobby Portis? I even think Bobby Portis is probably your best bench player. Um, Pat Con at times doesn't look like he belongs. Brent Forbes is a bit microwavy, but not in a good way, like in a bad way. Um, so, you know, I, I I don't trust the Bucks bench, especially those guys they play most often. I think if you're going, you know, tit for tat there, um, I take the Hawks bench. And so with these bench units kind of getting some increased run because of injuries and things like that, I think you're going to see more of an area where the Hawks are stronger than the Bucks, and just because of personnel and, and ability. And I think that may show up. It's eventually going to show up in this game. So I'm going to take the Hawks in game uh, in game five right here. Game six is going to be interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about it. We'll definitely get on social media and kind of give some keys there. But yeah, I'm taking Hawks. the Hawks in game five. I think they go up to Milwaukee, still another one, and hopefully can come back home and close it out in game six on Saturday. But all that being said, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. A bit of a shorter show today. Um, just because, you know, not as much to talk about, not as much to talk about with scheme and game plans. These playoffs go on. We're almost ready to just it's almost like when the games end, if you could just watch if they could just go get some water, have another halftime and lace it up and go again for another game. It's almost worth it because that much doesn't change um, as far as scheming and things like that go after about game three, game four. You've probably seen what you're going to see for the rest of the series, especially if it's a competitive series. It's all about execution, about doing what you need to do, about, you know, having the better players who can execute in those moments. And I think the Hawks really do have that um, without Giannis being on the floor for an indeterminate amount of time. And even if Trey Young misses um, an extended amount of time beyond, uh, beyond, you know, game four. So, that um, will be very interesting to watch. It'll be very interesting interesting to see how it plays out. But again, thank you guys for listening. Appreciate your time. Um, be sure to check us out on social media. Like I said, that is at the 40 Forum, at sign T-H-E, number four, number zero, F-O-R-U-M on Twitter.
Twitter, spelled the exact same way for Facebook. Also, be sure to listen um, on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Um, semi-weekly for some more updates on the Hawks. And also, once this playoff run is over, we'll hopefully be able to dig in and talk a little more uh, Georgia sports. The Braves um, tonight, or last night, I guess it will be, got a very, very, very big win over the Mets, 20-2. So I hope they don't wish they'd save some of that offense for another night. But hopefully they can start getting back in this divisional thing. I know I, I went against, went on them pretty hard uh, a couple weeks ago or a, few, a couple shows ago, I guess. But nonetheless, um, hopefully they can get back in this division and at least get near contention, only be a couple games out of the division by the All-Star break. So it'll convince Alex Anthopoulos to go spend some money um, in Liberty Media, convince him to go talk to Liberty Media, to go spend some money in free agency to try to get this team to be a little more competitive and competitive enough to win the division and hopefully make a run because the talent's there. The pitching staff's coming around. Hopefully you get Huskar you know back um, here you know, in within the next month. You hopefully get um, Travis Darno back within the next month-ish. Um, Marcelo Zun is probably, probably going to be gone for the season, unfortunately, with, with his legal issues. But um, all that being said, the Braves can still make a run at this thing. They still have the firepower and the ability. You just got to get the MVP hitting like the MVP. You got to get Ronald Acuna, um, you know, back hitting Matt Monster home runs, which he, he did um, last night as well. But also get him kind of back on track. Ozzy Albies is heating up around the All-Star break. You've got three All-Stars on the team. So really just hoping to see this thing take off for that group. And they just need to string together those four, or five, six, you know, win nine out of ten, um, win six in a row, seven in a row, whatever it is, to kind of get, get things going on the right track. Um, but nonetheless, that's all we've got. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, we hope to be able to bring you more good stuff like this as well in, in the coming weeks and days with training camp kicking off as well. But thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking to you soon.